Hello, hello. You found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. And I have an apology for the people who like to listen to us on Sunday afternoons. I hurt my back last Sunday night and was on pain medication and completely looped on posting the podcast. So I will post it tonight after we record the podcast. Today, Prince Philip has died, and oh, we're yeah. to remember him as Americans, however he is to be remembered by Americans, mm-hmm. and we each watched a documentary. I watched Crip Camp, which is one oh, of the- Oh, I've heard great things about that. Yeah, Michelle and Barack Obama, wow. and among many other producers, and you watched, what did you watch? Seaspiracy. It's a horrible title. Seaspiracy. Okay, I came across that. I was trying to scroll looking for Crip Camp because I was too lazy to type it into the search. Oh, that's very lazy. (laughs) That's what pain meds will do, Julia. You just stop caring at a certain point when you're on those meds. (laughs) That's what happens. But I passed Seaspiracy and I actually clicked on it to see what the Mm -hmm. hell it was about. And I thought it was about the Great Garbage Patch. It's in the middle it, of the ocean. Well, is that- it is. It's about that in a sense. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. It's about well, ocean pollution. Oh, I'm very interested in that subject. So we will pursue. We will touch upon that. Now, back to Prince Philip. Oh, yeah. We know Prince Philip from what I watched of him on The Crown. I know. That's all we know. Now, one thing that it touched on very gingerly but did touch on it is how massively inappropriate he could be at times. When they were visiting Australia, he said to the Aboriginal head of the tribe, nice hat. And Mm -hmm. Elizabeth said, that's that's a crown. He's a king, um, king of his tribe. And she was massively embarrassed by that. And they don't do it too many other times, but he was famous, kind of like Joe Biden for this Mm. kind of Trumpism. And he did it fairly often, but he was rather well known for his cheating, his infidelities. Oh, really? Yeah, which is unfortunate, very unfortunate. They did deal with that in The Crown. They definitely had their come to Jesus time on the boat before they landed back from some trip that they'd taken abroad. And Claire Foy and Matt Smith having a conversation where she said, I can't do this anymore. I can't can't be humiliated anymore. And he said, it's humiliating for me to be the husband of the queen. Right. You know, I was promised this and I was never given it. And it Mm. was back and forth. But he was 99 and and I think just kind of missed his 100th birthday, which is... Sad. Mm. But 99. That's pretty good making it to 99. I think the queen is 95 or six. I don't actually know how old she is. She's getting up there though. Yeah. I know that he was displeased, and I secretly suspect he was the one who brought up the race card with Harry. In his inappropriate way. Which is why I think he brought up the race card, but other people suspect Camilla. I suspect it was Prince Philip. Hmm. Uh, He was displeased by the Oprah interview. Literally on the front page of his obituary that he was displeased in in the New York Times, he was displeased about the Oprah interview. So nobody was pleased about that except Oprah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because that family is in the public eye over so many years and the world changes and the royal family is slow to catch up. They come from this past 
yeah. where the, these concepts of, um, you know, the man cheats on the wife, but they keep it quiet. This whole idea of stiff upper lip and you don't reveal yeah. anything about your feelings and you sacrifice your personal life for the benefit of the family and the royalty. And so they're an anachronism. And it's interesting, really, to see how the older ones could not adjust, move into yeah. the new setup. Yeah. The one thing that was very interesting to me about Prince Philip's kind of last, not last words, but his last wishes was that this royal family not be dispensed with mm. and that to me is a sign that they should be dispensed yeah with. that's one of his anachronisms that they think it's still uh necessary or whatever that serves some kind of purpose and they're really funded by taxpayers who need that tax money those mm -hmm. people need that money england is not doing that well right now right um, what with COVID and all, and they're bouncing back, but they don't need to be paying taxes to a bunch of people who are ceremonial. I'd yeah. love to know. I'd love to know if there's any groundswell of public opinion existing today uh, in England about abolishing the monarchy. I wonder if it lines up as the Kate and William faction versus the Harry and Meghan faction, because Prince William is in line after his father right. to be the king. So he has a vested interest in right. the monarchy, whereas Harry really is so far from the crown. He's he's after his brother. I know. I think he's after George. The sons of William. Yeah, of, yeah. of William. Right. So he really has very little to, to keep him tethered to it. There have always been anti-monarchists. I'm sure yeah. from the beginning of the monarchy, there were anti-monarchists, but right. it just does seem that the time is nigh. Maybe Harry is the canary in the coal mine because he's already pretty much, just by his actions, yeah. kind of said this isn't working, you know? Also, because of the Diana scandal and because Charles loved Camilla and was not able to marry her mm -hmm. and now has finally married her and Prince Andrew and his scandal with Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, I mean, my God. Yeah. If that doesn't bring them down, nothing will. Exactly. I mean, yeah. like I said, they're worried about Meghan and Harry when they've got Prince Andrew. That's right. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what is to become of them. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, too, if the series, which is so, I imagine it's very popular. If I've seen it, it must be pretty popular. They're in um, America. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I wonder if the series on them may help things along. Kind of like how Will and Grace help people get used to gay people. Maybe the crown will get people used to the idea that these royals are people, they don't deserve really to be yes. financially supported for no good reason. They're just human beings like all mm -hmm. the rest of us, mm -hmm. wafting around in their own misery and <laughs> contradictions. Yeah. We shall see. More will More be, will be I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw What's it called? Seaspiracy, like conspiracy, but they took out the con and they put in S-E-A-C. It's a forced play on words that doesn't work, yeah. but it's a very powerful movie. It's very disturbing. There were parts I couldn't even watch because oh, yeah. they show some real brutality to oh, marine life that, oh, um, that happens in these fishing villages. There's one oh, in Japan. The one in Japan. Yes. Right, South they, Japan. They and trap they, the animals and then they kill them. They lure them into a little bay and then they kill yeah. them. And then the same thing in the Faroe Islands that are Danish islands 
off the north of Scotland. I've always wanted to go to the Faroe Islands, but no, but no more. They do the same thing. And it's all, it's, they try to keep it secret. They don't let media in and they have police there to keep reporters out and all of this. But the bigger problem that the movie exposes is that one, the organization that monitors tuna for being dolphin friendly or dolphin safe. You know, you get a little stamp on your tuna can if you've caught your tuna without harming dolphins. Yeah. Well, it's all BS. The dolphins are being killed in, in the harvesting of these tuna and they just don't report it. And it's the organization that is in charge of this certification doesn't monitor it. They can't monitor it because there are, I don't know the numbers, but there are hundreds of thousands, apparently fishing boats that go out anyway. So that's- So they're outnumbered in other words. They can't enforce it and therefore they don't. But not only that, then there's the issue of plastics in the ocean. And you know how everything's about plastic straws and how we shouldn't dispose of plastic straws or use them because they'll go up the noses of the turtles. Well, they, they do go up the noses of the turtles and it's bad news. But compared to what the fishing industry does, the fishing industry, they dump their nets into the ocean when they're done with them. And the ratio of the plastic in the ocean that's accounted for by the disposing of these nets illegally makes the straw issue or even the microplastics issue, which I guess is part of the the big garbage patch patch in the ocean. There's a big problem that is being caused by the fishing industry. And so when we buy fish to eat, we are contributing to the killing of the oceans because the fishing industry is not being policed. And Uh the organization that it's called the plastic, plastic pollution organization or something. It's the organization that's sort of at the forefront of trying to get us to cut down on our plastic use in order to help save the oceans. They're owned by the same company or organization. They're part of the organization that stamps dolphin free on your tuna. And they're not doing what they claim to be doing. And it's fascinating because the documentary has scenes where they go in and interview the woman who's in charge of this anti-plastics environmental group. And she makes them stop filming when they start asking about how the purchase of seafood is contributing to the plastics problem. They're invested in covering up how the fishing industry is doing plastics pollution in the ocean that makes everything else that we're doing look like small change. So it's like, look over here, don't look over there. Yeah, it's like they want us to focus on drinking straws because... They don't want us to know what the fishing industry is doing. And there's no will or ability, apparently, to police these fishing companies. And we have this idea of a fishing boat as a little red boat with a little guy on it with a a little white beard and crinkly blue eyes. But they show these fishing trawlers that go out to fish for tuna. They're huge. They're the size of football fields. And they troll, which is supposed to be illegal. But they grab these, they, yeah, they pull these nets along the bottom of the sea and they are doing away with entire populations of all kinds of fish. And if certain species of fish die, then the whole chain goes bad because it's all about the big fish eating the next fish down on the chain. They're killing sharks apparently at an alarming rate. A hundred million sharks a year. They're doing sharks like crazy and... Then there's there's the um, shark fin industry in Japan where they're catching 
sharks and killing them. And and I, I had to stop watching at the end when they show this terrible slaughter of these dolphins in the Faroe Islands. And I had to stop watching. So I don't even know why they're killing the dolphins, but they are. They kill them for meat. But the fact is the meat is so highly mercurized. Mm-hmm. Dolphin meat. Now, tuna is highly mercurized because the mercury goes up the food chain. Mm-hmm. The higher up the food chain, the more mercury the fish has. So the tuna is high up the food chain. The dolphin eat the tuna. That's why. The dolphin have this high level of mercury in them, but they're still used by the Japanese food industry as canned human Neat. food. They have like 750 times the amount of mercury that's safe for humans to eat, but the Japanese food industry has ignored that for some reason. There was a documentary that was done about that process, that process mm-hmm. of luring the, is it just dolphins or is it, isn't it orca whales? Oh, it's, yeah, it's, I'm sorry, it's not dolphins. In, in the Faroe Islands, it's pilot whales. And I, I don't remember if it's dolphins or another fish or another mammal that they lure in in Japan. I thought it was orca whales as well, but that might just be, they probably are too hard to lure. Yeah, in the pharaohs, it's a species of whale called a pilot whale. A pilot whale, okay. So I guess the dolphins get caught up in that process and they're slaughtered. And that that documentary was supposedly, and now I cannot remember the name of it, but I thought that it shamed the Japanese into stopping that. Just like Blackfish, the... Mm -hmm documentary about orca whales had right. sea world into not right. having orca whales in pens anymore right right having them not capturing them at all anymore right so i don't know what happened with that but it was a scandal and that documentary was yeah released. well this so, really it this is so parallel to the plastics problem we've talked about before about how the petrochemical industry has gotten us hypnotized about recycling our bottles and things. And I mean, I'm sure it's helpful to some degree, although I think only 10% of recycled materials actually get recycled. Yes. But they have us all hopped up about recycling our our soda bottles. But the bigger issue is about plastic pollution are not being addressed, about how manufacturers are using them because it's cheaper. And the petrochemicals industry is making money by keeping that cycle going. So it's kind of parallel here to this thing about we're worried about the plastics that we're putting in the ocean. And it's not that we shouldn't be, but we have been kept in the dark about a much more serious problem of what the fishing industry is doing to the oceans, not only in the way they're fishing and killing out these populations, but also in the way they're putting more plastic into the ocean in the form of nets that end up trapping these poor animals and killing them. It's just, it's just horrible. And it's, you know, it's not a feel good movie. But yeah. it sure is an eye opener. And the nets are made of plastic. Is that the yes? Right? Oh, they are. Of course, we think of nets as being made of hemp, yeah. of that material that ropes are made out of. I never would have thought that the nets were made of plastic. Why did they drop them? They get too full of holes. I'm assuming they wear out. And oh, it's it's so sad. And they do these hauls of the tuna, and there's all these dolphins and other fish. Oh my god. Have. And meanwhile, when they're getting the meat back to the supermarket, it has the stamp on it, dolphin safe. But it's meaningless. So they're saying that if consumers want to really do something, we should cut back or eliminate seafood. Well, we all need to become plant eaters. That's yeah, I think happening. I mean, 
you don't want to eat chickens because they're factory farmed and right. And the alternative was seafood. And that's problematic as well. What is it? Stephanie Miller calls herself a a pescatarian? I think so. That's that's a word for someone who eats fish, but no meat. Well, it sounds thoroughly depressing. I assume that certain freshwater fish are okay to eat, that they are not being... Oh, possibly, yeah. They even showed on this documentary that Iceland, Iceland is so much about responsible fishing, you know, and not over harvesting and all of that stuff. But even Icelandic fisheries are contributing to this problem. You have Iceland as sort of the best of the bunch. And if they're not clean, anyway. Well, David Attenborough certainly did not prepare us for this. no. So it'll be interesting to see if this movie, I wish it had a better title, but it'll be interesting to see if this makes a, (laughs) makes a splash, I was going to (laughs) say. Yes. Raises consciousness about an issue we just didn't know about. Well, they really need to push it more because I only came across it by accident on Netflix Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. looking for the one that I'm going to talk about, which is Crip Camp, another documentary with an unfortunate title, because I just don't think that anybody would be drawn to it. I was um, afraid to watch it because I thought it would be painful. You know, it is, well, Crip Camp, which is about a camp called Camp Jarrett, J-E-R-E-D. And it right. was in the Catskills above New, New York. York City. And the kids were dropped in the middle of this kind of hippie commune. Mm. These hippies just believed that the kids should have and be treated like normal people. It's a phrase that they use, like normal people, like we would say, like able-bodied people. Right. And they cared for them. You know, they played softball with them. And they would sometimes take them to places where they would be told, no, you can't bring those kids in here. It'll just disturb the regular people too much. Amusement parks and things like that. Right. So there were a few people who came from this camp and one in particular, whose name was Judy Human. That's her real name. It's spelled H-U-E. M-A-N-N, human. And she became the mouthpiece for the Americans with Disabilities Act. And it's the whole documentary, you would think that it would be more talking heads, but it's some talking heads from today, which is reassuring. You want to know that these people survived and and many didn't, Mm -hmm. but it showed a lot of film from the camp, a lot of film from Berkeley, California, where this Disabilities Act arose from the kids from Camp Jared going to Berkeley and, you know, in the middle of this hippie dippy 1972 movement. And that's when the Center for Independent Living came up. There was a strike that lasted, I think it was 29 days that people who literally could not move themselves to avoid bed sores were Mm. striking in the capital of San Francisco for their disability rights. And there were, there were two steps to it. There was the 504 Act, which was that handicapped people couldn't be discriminated against. And yet that act went through and nothing really happened. But what had to happen were the things that you and I take notice of, which is the curbs are dipped so that wheelchairs can accommodate them. There are disabled toilets Mm -hmm. in public bathrooms. Right. I think that even regular bathrooms now have to be created so that a wheelchair can fit through them. Right. And so many other things that we don't really think about because they've been around since 1990. That was the real George Bush. George Bushman. And it was Yeah, ADA. Now they say something is ADA compliant. And they had to strike and they had to literally go to Washington and confront the 
man who was health and human services of the cabinet of Jimmy Carter and then George Bush. And it's very inspiring because what you understand as it progresses is all they want is dignity. All they want is dignity and not to have to ask for an able-bodied person to help them. They want to be independent. Yeah. I cried, cried Mm -hmm. as, as anybody would. You know, the Black Panthers came and fed these people while they were striking for these 29 days because they were trying to do something good for society. And so were the Black Panthers, as you learned from the Black Panther movie, Mm -hmm. that the Black Panthers were so mischaracterized as an American terrorist movement or anything really but that. And I really feel like seeing it made me a better person. And I don't think watch it for that i think that it's just so com- compelling i keep saying that about films but yeah it is so compelling because it starts with with the supposition that we assume that people who are disabled are less than right want to be is equal to and that's yeah. what that's what every movement has been about for every minority in the country mm-hmm. and it turns out that the disabled community is the biggest minority community in the country according to this film at least it reminds me of how the process of, of a marginalized group coming into its own, a big part of it, no matter what the group is, and the process never ends really, but there's an invisibility to the people in whatever group we're talking about. But there is a problem in that we think of white, middle-class, male, straight, male, privilege as being the only way to be. That is the first form. And right. Then- falls outside of that mm-hmm. is less than that form and so less deserving and you know i count myself as somewhat socially aware but it's easy for me to fall into an indifference that's not based on any ill will toward any group but it's just so easy when you're in the majority to lose track of your own privilege you, it just feels like life to you right i don't experience it as privilege until it's pointed out to me there was right. someone in this documentary who said He had gotten his dream job, which was running the sound system at the Berkeley uh, Repertory Company in in Berkeley, California. But in order to get to this job, he had to crawl up the steps Mm. until another building was built for the Repertory Company. And the Americans with Disabilities Act made it so that there had to be a way for him to get up there without using the stairs. And you look at progress like that and say, that's amazing. Even though one of the people in it who has cerebral palsy, it's all well and good to have new laws, but until society changes, you're not moving that much. Yeah. It sounds like a good movie then. It's really good. Is it an Oscar nominee? I think it might be. I think it's an Oscar nominee this year. Did I mention that it was Michelle and, and Barack Obama? Yep. Okay. So I think their movie from last year that had to oh, do- Oh, that was about factories. Chinese factories, yeah. About Chinese factories. What was the title of it? I can't remember. Was it called Factory? Maybe it was called Factory. That one last year. Okay. And so maybe this one is up again for- Nice. This year, I know. Such an interesting idea that someone who went from being a president is now sort of an A-list producer. Well, that's my pitch for that movie. Time has come for us to say goodbye to our boomer friends. That one's Okay, out. yeah. So long, boomers. Goodbye, boomers. We hope you're vaccinated. And if you're not, we hope you will be soon. Yeah. We'll talk to you again in a week. See you in a week. So Bye-bye. long.